Welcome to Neo Chats, an interview-style podcast focusing on educating neonatal nurses, caring for newborns and their families, hosted by Jenna Morton. It is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses, a nonprofit organization committed to the health and well-being of newborns and their families. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Neo Chats. I'm your host, Jenna Morton. In this episode, we're exploring the topic of COVID-19, specifically in relation to the NICU. And to help us understand everything you need to know, I'm joined by neonatologist, Dr. Michael Narvi. Dr. Narvi lives and works in Winnipeg. He's an active researcher, educator, and the voice behind the website, All Things Neonatal. Welcome to Neo Chats. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very glad you're taking the time to do this. We're here in early April, 2020. I think putting a date on that is a, a very important given what we're going to talk about. I'm wondering if you could just kind of set the scene for us as to what we know at this moment in time in regards to COVID-19 and specifically our patient population of infants. Thank you. You know, with respect to where we're at, things have um, clearly, I would say, been very disruptive in the world uh, with respect to COVID-19. I think that, um, you know, as, as many of listeners will know, this all began in December. And while initially there were thoughts that this may be confined to Wuhan, China, time has certainly shown that that's not the case as the uh, infection, which has proven to be quite communicable, um, has spread globally. With that, um, I appreciate that your listeners are probably more than aware. Recommendations have been seemingly in constant flux uh, and restrictions to our daily life have become far more dramatic as time has gone on to the point where places uh, that uh, listeners may even be listening from, depending on how far the reaches of this podcast, could even be under lockdown. Or by the time that this podcast airs, there could be significant changes to even what we're talking about today. So I think that it's, it's important um, to have that lens at the, at the outset here that uh, I'm glad you mentioned that we're at the start of April, because by the middle of April, by the end of April, I expect many things will be different, but what I'm hoping we can do today is sort of give a, an overview of what we currently understand about where things are at. And, and certain, certain things that we'll talk about I don't think are going to change. There are some things, no doubt, uh, especially based on the prevalence of the uh, virus in your community. There may be differences in Canada uh, regionally, or not maybe, there are differences regionally in Canada depending on what the burden of illness is. You know, I hope that, um, you know, this serves as a bit of a disclaimer, if you will, <laughs> at the start of this. But, but what we do know is that I think as of this morning, there are uh, in many jurisdictions in Canada, growing populations of people affected by COVID-19. Uh, here in my own province within Manitoba, we now have evidence of community spread, uh, whereas up until the last 48 hours, it was apparent that um, the cases that were coming up could be traced back to travel, uh, but that has now changed. So even here, things are changing. And what is changing in terms of NICUs in particular? Because in my experience, the NICU is already a place where there are a lot of protocols around hand washing and some of the things that early on came out around what we should be doing in right. the time of COVID-19. 
what are some of the the changes that are having to happen in NICU specifically? I think, you know, before we can talk about changes, you know, I have to acknowledge that how one approaches the newborn who's at risk of COVID-19 is different depending on a very important question. And that important question is, do you believe that COVID-19 is transferred from mother to baby in utero, or do you not? So the first thing that I think we need to look at is, what does the evidence say so far about the risk of what we call vertical transmission, which is the passage in utero from mother to baby? So to answer that question, I think we can look at two other coronaviruses for which we have experience. One is uh, SARS, number one, uh, which occurred back in 2003, 2004, and then MERS, the Middle Eastern respiratory uh, virus that occurred in uh, 2012. Both of those coronaviruses, although they were not as widespread as uh, the current one, none of the patients, none of the pregnant mothers appeared to have any signs of vertical transmission to their offspring. And so that's reassuring. That, that's a very important thing that we know from the past. But when you look at the present, literature is, is coming out all the time. Um, and to this point, we still we have less than 100 mothers and their outcomes of their pregnancies that have been reported in the literature. When you look at those outcomes, though, all but five of these infants showed possibility of vert vertical transmission. So the vast, vast majority have tested negative. And I'd like to talk about the negatives first because uh, although the positives clearly are more sensational, uh, there is, there's lessons to be learned from the negatives. So the negative, one study that looked at nine women out of Wuhan, China, and six of their offspring, all born by cesarean section, found that the amniotic fluid and the umbilical cord all tested negative for SARS. Uh, COVID-2, which is the virus causing COVID-19. So that was a pure sample devoid of any secretions or uh, stool or blood, um, suggesting that th those, those are good negatives to know about because that's a pure sample. When you look at the positives, um, I'll walk you through the positives and then we'll talk about what that means in terms of your original question about uh, what do NICUs do to prepare for this. So when you look at the positives, there was a positive infant at 36 hours of age who tested positive on nasopharyngeal swab. There was also a case series recently that garnered a lot of attention in JAMA Pediatrics of 33 uh, infants, uh, of which three tested positive, all at 48 hours, and two out of the three had signs of pneumonia on their chest x-ray. So those four, and I'll talk about the fifth separately, those four have led to a lot of people jumping up and saying, oh my goodness, there's vertical transmission. The problem that we have is we don't know at what point between birth and two days of age or 36 hours these infants acquired the virus. Did they acquire it in utero or did they acquire it from handling afterwards? Ideally, we would have had samples at birth and we don't have it. So at this point, they remain suspect. The other report that has come out is one of serological testing, where they tested a baby after birth and found that the level of IgM, which is an antibody against COVID-19, 
the level of IgM was high at birth, but by, 40, by 48 hours, I believe, had dropped down to just above what would be considered a positive. There were five swabs taken of this infant, and all five swabs came back negative. So it's actually thought that this was probably a false positive as opposed to a true positive. So what we really have then are four possible cases. So where does this leave the practitioner? Where does this leave our teams, our leaders? Uh, and that's, that's really you know, the essence of, uh, of the big question that you're asking is how do NICUs deal with this or how do NICUs deal with this? So I'm gonna paint two pictures for you. One is if you believe there's no vertical transmission versus if you do believe there's vertical transmission. So if you don't believe there's vertical transmission, then you would approach the delivery of um, an infant with the understanding that uh, the team needs to protect themselves from being infected by the mother if the mother's COVID-19 positive. And so you need to maintain a six foot distance and you need to, from the mother, and you need to maintain your personal protective equipment. But you would not need an N95 respirator in that situation. Because even if the baby has respiratory symptoms, we don't believe, if you are on this side of the fence, that they will be transmitting uh, virus at that point. If, however, you do believe that um, this is communicable through vertical transmission, then what you would do at the very least is bring in people to do an intubation or start the patient on CPAP wearing the N95 respirators. And if you look at guidelines that have been posted um, on all things neonatal from around the country, what you will find is protocols differ based on this point. One thing that we all seem to agree on though is if a mother's going to be intubated under a general anesthetic because of the potential for aerosolizing virus from the mother, everyone should, in attendance in the room should wear an N95 respirator. So we all agree on that. How one gets the baby though from the room that they're delivered in to their place where they will convalesce, whether that be postpartum or whether that be the NICU, is a second question that you need to tackle. So if an infant, and I guess I should have said this at the outset, um, I feel that there needs to be a disclaimer. These, these, are, these are my opinions <laughs> and not necessarily representative of the rest of the country. So I'm trying to be as fair as I can in providing options for care based on, as I said, that decision point of what you believe. If a baby has no respiratory symptoms, and I'll give you an example, a baby who let's say is simply intrauterine growth restricted. So you've got an 1800 gram infant born at 37 weeks to a COVID positive mother. Well, if that baby is going to the NICU or going to the postpartum ward, that baby could, in my opinion, be transferred in an open bassinet because they're not coughing, they're not sneezing, there's no risk of droplet concerns. And even then, if, as in Winnipeg, we've te tended to not believe in vertical transmission, we wouldn't be worried about the baby from birth. If, however, you're going to be transporting a baby who has respiratory distress, we would prefer to do that in an isolate. So have the CPAP or intubation happen and then have them in a closed isolate as you're transporting them through the hallway. And I think another important point to, to recognize um, is that we are expecting in our world of the NICU that babies will continue to have respiratory distress. 
So if you've got a 27 week infant born and they have sternal indrawing, tracheal tugging, intercostal indrawing, they, they, we expect that. They likely have respiratory distress syndrome, but it doesn't mean they've got COVID-19 pneumonia. Okay, so I think people need to appreciate that, that we're still gonna see this. And having a non-COVID-19 respiratory illness will be far more common than having COVID-19. Even if you believe in vertical transmission, you're far more likely to, to have a non-COVID-related uh, illness. But getting the baby from the delivery suite to the um, NICU or the postpartum will require uh, an understanding about the transmission of the virus through droplets. And so even if you did think the baby could be infected through vertical transmission, I don't know that you necessarily need a closed isolate to take the baby. Those are some of the things that we need to think about. And a very hot topic, and I can sort of, a couple of very hot topics actually. One has to do with testing of the newborn, and another one has to do with parental visitation. So I'll start with testing of the newborn. There's really two circumstances I can think of in which one would test the newborn. One is for surveillance. We, as I mentioned, we have less than 100 mothers and infants in the literature, which is really, in the, when, in the grand scheme of things, when we're, as of today, about to hit, a, I believe today we'll hit a million positive cases worldwide. So to have only 100, less than 100 newborns, uh, we really don't know a lot about the newborn yet. So some centers, including ours, are interested in trying to help answer this question. And so what we're doing is if a mother tests positive, so not suspect, but she must be positive, a known positive mother delivers an infant, whether they're symptomatic or not, our plan is to swab those infants with a nasopharyngeal swab between one and two hours of age after first wiping the face to remove any, and cleaning the face, sorry, not just wiping it, to remove any virus that may have be on the uh, face. That's between one to two hours, and that would be considered surveillance and to help answer the question about vertical transmission. The second situation that one might test would be if a mother um, is known to be COVID positive, whether prior to delivery or after delivery, and the infant at some point during their hospital stay develops symptoms. You may want to test the baby there to find out if the symptoms are in fact related to COVID-19. The real question that I think all healthcare providers need to ask, and, we've, and this is what we talk about all the time in the NICU is, will this change my management? And so if you have an asymptomatic patient, and I was very careful to mention symptomatic before, if you have an asymptomatic patient, even if they're born to a COVID positive mother, personally, I don't know what the COVID swab will do for you other than uh, confirm that the baby has COVID-19. But there's a risk to that as well in the asymptomatic infant. As we do more and more of these tests, a figure of about 30% as a false negative has started to crop up. And we know that if you are asymptomatic, the risk of a false negative is even higher. I worry, and again, this is a personal worry, that we may develop a false sense of security when we hear the word COVID, words COVID negative, because it doesn't mean you're COVID negative, especially if you're asymptomatic. So I would discourage the use of testing in the asymptomatic population. With the symptomatic though, as mentioned, if you, especially if you do an x-ray and there may or may not be signs of pneumonia, 
I think it would be worth at that point doing the swap. So that's the testing piece. And sort of the, the elephant in the room, in many rooms these days, is what to do about the visitation by parents. And so this is going to be a very unpopular thing to say, but there are many families who have spent a considerable amount of time coming up with very intricately planned birth plans. And we very much would like to continue being family-centered. FICARE has been something that has grown all over the country and the world, and there are many benefits to that. But I'm suggesting to our population at this time that we need to look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, and somebody said this to me just the other day, and it, and it really rings true. There's been a lot of information in the news about the lack of ventilators out there to support our population. What's been missing in this information is that I could deliver a million ventilators to Canada tomorrow, but if our healthcare workforce gets sick and our respiratory therapists can't come to the hospital, who will run this equipment? This equipment will sit idle because people will not know how to properly run it. So as a population, my message to the people out there is we may have to endure some short-term pain for some long-term gain. And so at least here in Winnipeg, the decision has been made that if a mother tests COVID positive, the mother and the father who will be presumed to be positive will not be visiting the NICU until their two-week period has gone and they are asymptomatic and cleared to come back to the unit. The symptom portion is important there because if their symptoms are still going on past two weeks, it's the longer of the two uh, that come back when they're better. Now this I know will present a major issue for a lot of families. Um, I cannot imagine as a father myself being told that I can't see my newborn. But the, the issue at hand is trying to prevent infection of our workforce and trying to also, in, a, in many respects, prevent infection of the newborn. If we believe that vertical transmission is rare or non-existent, horizontal transmission or infection of the infant after birth is a real... And so I would offer this perspective for those people out there with uh, this concern about separation from their baby. The majority of infants that we see in the NICU are not 24-week premature infants with a six-month stay. The majority are late preterm infants born between 34 to 36 weeks. Many of these infants need temporary stays in the NICU. They may be in for a week or two weeks. So the best thing for these infants is to have us care for them and get them home to you as quickly as possible. And to the, to the other families, the ones who have very long stays ahead of them, what I would say to you is, your time will come. So you may not be there for the first couple of weeks, but in a four to five month stay for infants born between 24 or 23 weeks, all the way up to 28 weeks, you will have lots of time with your infant, but at a time when it is safe for you to be there. I think it's so important for people to hear that and to have that moment to think through what some of these options might be that come their way. 
I know a lot of people who are expecting right now are running through those scenarios of all the what ifs. And it's very important, I think, for us to stop and talk about those, where that point of transmission is happening. I think that's very valuable information. And, you know, let's call this what it is. This is an unprecedented time. I realize that's beginning to sound cliche, but it's not just unprecedented in this pandemic. What's unprecedented is the pain and suffering that goes along with it for many people. So, yes, this is going to be hard. Yes, this will be painful for many families to have separation but it's necessary and the good news is it will pass. The other, the other piece of good news, which I can touch on, I suppose, is one thing we didn't talk about, which is postpartum for non-NICU uh, deliveries. So if you have a healthy newborn delivery, there is no reason why your infant can't come and be with you in the room. When the infant is in the room with you though, you will be isolated uh, if you are COVID positive. And meticulous care will need to occur uh, with yourself and your newborn. And what I mean by that is using precautions such as masks, gowns, gloves, frequent hand washing. And the topic of skin-to-skin -skin care and breastfeeding uh, no doubt will come up. And places all around the country are trying to figure out what to do with this. But the best recommendation I can provide at this time is that Everyone needs to be part of the decision-making. This is not for your physician or your midwife or your nurse practitioner to tell you what to do. This is a discussion that you need to have about the risks, about the benefits of breastfeeding, skin-to-skin -skin care, and you need to make a decision as a group as to what's in the best interest. And uh, if you wish to breastfeed, that is wonderful. There's the potential to pass antibodies on against coronavirus to your uh, infant, um, but you will need to clean uh, your chest with soap and water prior to latching uh, to ensure that um, uh, there's a minimal risk of transferring the virus to your infant. Same with skin-to-skin -skin care. And what about in terms of the healthcare worker themselves? What precautions and what, what advice are you sharing with your team in terms of your safety and what you need to be doing right now? Well, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting day to ask that question because as of this morning, everyone now is essentially presumptive COVID suspect. And so we are donning personal protective equipment, not N95 respirators, uh, for non-ventilated or non-CPAP patients, but we are um, using personal protective equipment for all patient encounters now. I think if you go across the country, you'll find that this will vary depending on jurisdiction again and, and how many um, healthcare workers have tested positive and how many positives you have in, the, in, in your city. So I think we are now entering that, that era, if you will, where everyone will be wearing PPE for patient encounters because the reality is, uh, and this is, I think, one of the scary things about this virus, is many people are asymptomatic or they have very mild symptoms and they might not appreciate that they are in fact infected. Okay? And they are also transmitting this 
even though they're asymptomatic. So the safest thing to do is to presume every encounter you have may be a positive. And in, do, in so doing, protect yourself. I think we should leave the conversation there for today. Okay. And perhaps, uh, you know, in a few weeks, we can revisit and, uh, and check in. Because as you say, things are still changing quite rapidly. Right. And the information that parents and healthcare workers both want to hear will continue to be of great concern, I'm sure. Yes. Dr. Michael Narvi is a neonatologist practicing in Winnipeg, Manitoba. He is an active researcher, an educator, and the voice behind the website, All Things Neonatal. NeoChats is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses. This series is supported by an unrestricted educational grant by Malincrod. The content producer and host is Jenna Morton. Technical production by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub. For more information on the association, visit our website at www.neonatalcan.ca or our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages.